You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. One kept pointing an accusing finger rather than feeling guilty of his deeds. The other one feared God. The other one knew and confessed his sins. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of what I've done. One demonstrated a scornful and hardened heart. The other modeled a repentant heart and believing faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. One didn't receive a reward because Jesus didn't even respond to his scoffing. That man's scoffing led him to a place that was not paradise. Today, in Pastor Dave's message, he shows two possible responses to the salvation Christ offers. The first is one of repentance, holding yourself accountable for your sin and calling on Jesus for forgiveness. The other one is full of anger, pointing accusing fingers of blame. These two individuals ended up in two very different places. Which response will you have? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Bridge Across the Great Divide. When we studied the book of Romans, he answered this question. He answered this rhetorical question in Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemns, he said. And then he answers this question. Not Jesus, for Jesus died for us. Yes, rather, is risen again and is even at the right hand of the Father making intercession. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father today making intercession for you and for me. What a glorious thought of that. God didn't send him into the world to condemn the world. Jesus hasn't come to condemn you. He's come to save you. He's come to save you, to give you salvation. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world he might be saved. The angel told Jesus, you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. His own name means salvation. Yashashua, Jehovah is salvation. His name means salvation. God sent Jesus to hang on that cross to be the bridge mankind needed. Mankind didn't need any more condemnation because the world already stands condemned. Look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. That's the good news. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those who are caught in what I've been calling the religious box are told what to do to reach heaven. They are told what to do to reach heaven. You must do this. You must do this. Climb to this height. Climb to that height. You have to do all these things, and then you might get there because you have to do some more to get there. They keep changing the rules. They keep changing the regulation. And every rule and every regulation just makes the box deeper. And you can't get out of the religious box. And as the religious box gets deeper, the chasm and the divide across between you and God gets longer, larger, and deeper. You can't get out. But Jesus on the cross touches both sides. 
Man and God, Jesus is the perfect bridge. Jesus is the perfect bridge. Man's responsibility is to believe. Man's responsibility is to believe. God has done all the work for you. God has done all the work, and he's given you the responsibility to but believe. Believe in him whom he sent. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Not believing in Jesus alone as Savior and Lord is equivalent to self-condemnation. Once again, the verbs in verse 18, has been judged and has not believed, accentuate the fact that the unbeliever's combination is because of their own unbelief. Did you hear that? The unbeliever's condemnation is because of their unbelief. They're causing their condemnation because they haven't believed. It should be noted, and I think we just did, that the great divide between man and God is man's choice. It's man's choice. God has always been trying to reach down to man. But God did reach down to man through the cross. Man has rejected the one way to deliverance from that condemnation which God sent through his son to remove. Man has failed to cross over the bridge to eternal life, so he willfully remains in condemnation. He willfully remains in condemnation. So what is the condemnation? What is the condemnation? John answers us for, answered that for us in 19. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's the condemnation. And in verse 20 and 21, we see that this. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they may have been done in God. Amen is right. The light exposes evil. He who is in the truth comes to the light. His deeds are clearly seen that they're done in God. What keeps people from belief in Jesus and salvation? Is it sin or is it unbelief? Yeah, really, it's both. People will not believe because they love their sin. Man preferred darkness instead of light. If sin didn't feel good, we wouldn't do it. How many of you have been talking to somebody about Christ and you get this? Well, I like my life just the way it is. I enjoy what I do. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not a sinner. I enjoy my life. Why should I repent and come to this Jesus? I'm okay. I like my life just the way it is. And I've been struggling for the last several days with an illustration of this, and I hope that this comes across the way I want it to come across, so please bear with me. Listen to me get all the way through this before we decide. I've, I've come up with an illustration that I'm going to share with you now to try to get the point across of what Jesus has been saying to Nicodemus. Two Fridays ago was Good Friday. We celebrated Good Friday. And you know that on the day Jesus was crucified, he was placed between two criminals. He was placed between two criminals, and this fulfilled prophecy. This fulfilled prophecy. But it also gives us an excellent illustration of what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus in these last five verses. 
So there were three crosses on Calvary that day. There were three men on those crosses. The same death was going to befall each man. But oh, how different the outcome, how different the results. So let's picture this. You have the three crosses before you. On one side of the cross, you have the cross of rebellion and rejection. The cross of condemnation. It held one of the criminals, one of the thieves, it says. And while hanging there before the jeering crowd, he was feeling the pain and anguish of crucifixion, but all he could do was look in spite and hatred at Jesus. He began to hurl insults at him, challenging him. If you're the Christ, get yourself down off the cross and, hey, take us with you. Even knowing that he was about to go into eternity, in a very short time, all he could do was spit out venom and hatred and bitterness to anyone and everyone around him. Imagine that. The Savior of the world is right beside him. This man was going to an eternal hell, never to receive another chance. His unbelief was doing what to him? Condemning him. It was condemning him. His unbelief was condemning him. Here was Jesus, the greatest person that ever lived who was all God and all man, and while he was in pain, what was he doing? He was praying for his tormentors. He was worried about his mother, and he was even worried about the two men that were beside him. He cared for them to the very end. And here's this thief. He saw all this. He saw the perfection of a Savior. And then he looked at his own pitiful life, and instead of reaching out to Jesus, he hated Jesus even more. The thief looked and saw the righteousness and seemed to hate Christ more and more and more as he hurled insults between the pain. His was the cross of rejection. His own comrade said that they were condemned already. We deserve to be here. We are already condemned men justly. But the rebel wouldn't relent. Even with one foot in the grave, on the other side of Jesus was the cross of repentance. The cross of repentance. There was a criminal on that cross too. He was dying a shameful death, but he takes an entirely different course after he breathes his last. Instead of curses from his lips, I believe that there were tears in his eyes. He looked inside himself and looked at the other thief and declared that they were deserving of what was happening to them. He realized that his sin was deserving of death. And as he looked over there, he looked, but there was a man in the middle. And he recognized that the two of them were already condemned, and rightfully so. But this man has done nothing. There's nothing wrong with him. He's innocent. Now, if you've been hoping and praying that your good deeds will save you, you need to look at the thief on the cross. You begin to realize how mistaken you are. Here was a man who may have had good deeds in his life, but being crucified as a result of bad deeds, yet being told by Christ that this day he would be with him in paradise. This man reached out to Jesus. He made a plea to him that originated in the depths of his soul, and Jesus responded with mercy. The enemy was blinded, his eyes, and the unsaved and deceived. The enemy tells them lies that they must somehow measure up before receiving salvation. Here was a man who made a simple request and was saved as a result. Interesting note that in Romans 10, 13, it says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you look at Luke 23, verse 43, the first word of the, out of the thief's mouth is Lord. Lord. Calls him Lord. 
declares him to be Lord. The cross of repentance reminds us that the worst sinner can be saved and forgiven of their sins. And when we pause to take a look at the cross of repentance, we realize the, the utter simplicity of salvation. And oh, how difficult we make it. And the more difficult we make it, the more the religious box closes in on us. You had the cross of condemnation on one side, the cross of rebellion and rejection. On the other side, you had the cross of repentance. And in the middle, in the middle was the cross that bridged the gap. The cross that bridged the gap of the great divide and on that hung Jesus Christ. It was the redemptive cross. Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. How many people today are in prison and you ask them why they're there, they'll tell you they were framed. Or they weren't the trigger person or they didn't do it. But here the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus who had really done this couldn't believe that Jesus was being punished alongside him. Couldn't believe and knew that Jesus was innocent. Every time Jesus turned around, he was followed by those of the religious crowd wanting to put him in the religious box. They were just waiting for him to sin. The words of repentant criminals summed it up. I said, this man has done nothing wrong. No other man has ever lived at any time who could ever have summed up their life better than this. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here was a man who had never sinned, and even in the face of reviling and anguish of body and soul, he never lashed out in bitterness, but was only concerned with the forgiveness of others. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and care for his family. We know his trial was nothing but a mockery as false witnesses came against him, but they moved him closer and closer to Calvary. Why then did Jesus die? Was it a miscarriage of justice? From our point of view, there is no darker blot on history than the death of a sinless man, the perfect man, Jesus Christ. However, we also must understand that this was all part of the plan of God to redeem us back to himself. It all started when they squandered everything in the Garden of Eden. From the moment it happened, God the Father set the plan in motion for man's redemption. But as Jesus hung there on the cross, guess where his arms were? outstretched like this, not only for you and me, but I get the feeling he was reaching for the two criminals. He was trying to bridge the gap between the two criminals saying, here it is. This is the bridge to everlasting life. Come get it. Did he talk to him like this? When you think of the great divide, when you think of what happened with those three crosses, two condemned sinners standing on the precipice those two condemned prisoners were on the precipice of the great divide. They were standing there at this great chasm before them. One rejected it. One said, no, I'm not taking it. The other was attracted by that cross, attracted by that way, and he responded in it by faith. They both came to the same place of death, Golgotha, Calvary. They were both condemned. One kept pointing an accusing finger rather than feeling guilty of his deeds. The other one feared God. The other one knew and confessed his sins. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of what I've done. One demonstrated a scornful and hardened heart. The other modeled a repentant heart and believing faith in a Savior, Jesus Christ. One didn't receive a reward because Jesus didn't even respond to his scoffing. That man's scoffing 
led him to a place that was not paradise. The other got a assuring, reassuring bright future from Jesus. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Just like that, he became the first recipient of salvation through the cross. Two thieves nailed to a cross. Two men with the exact same chance at salvation. Two men with the exact same chance of eternal life. Both were already condemned. One was in the light. One was in the darkness because he loved his sin. Two men at the same place. Just like those raindrops that fell at the great divide in the Canadian Rockies. One went one way and one went the other way. These two men did exactly the same thing. One chose to cross the bridge into eternal life. One did not. Question of the day, which path will you choose? Will you cross the bridge to eternal life? What is your response to the cross? How do we respond to the cross? Have you been attracted to it? It is one thing the world has found difficult to ignore. The world wants to do away with the cross. They want to do with anything that has to do with the cross because it reminds them. It reminds them that there is a way to God. It reminds them that they're sinful and they need a way to God. The cross reminds them that it's there and it's not going to go away. The cross today remains the bridge across the great divide. The cross remains. Let me close with this. There was a really, really good song in the 90s by Point of Grace. And it was aptly titled, The Bridge Across the Great Divide. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but it was an excellent, excellent song. Listen to these words. Silence. Trying to fathom the distance. Looking out across the canyon carved by my hands. God is gracious. Sin would still separate us were it not for the bridge his grace has made us. His love will carry us. There's a bridge to cross the great divide. A way is made to reach the other side. The mercy of the Father cost his son his life. His love is deep. His love is wide. There's a cross to bridge the great divide. God is faithful. On my own, I'm unable. He found me hopeless, alone, and sent me a Savior. He's provided a path and promised to guide us. Safely past all the sin that would divide us. His love delivers me. There's a bridge to cross the great divide. A way is made to reach the other side. The mercy of the Father cost his son his life. His love is deep. His love is wide. There's a cross to bridge the great divide. The cross that cost my Lord his life has given me mine. There's a bridge to cross the great divide. There's a cross to bridge the great divide. Amen? Where do you stand? Where are you today? Are you on that precipice? Are you on the edge looking out? Looking for a way over that divide? 
looking for that way over to God? Do you stand there and wonder, how do I get from here to there? Do you know that there is a God and you want to reach him? If so, the cross is the only way. Through the cross is the only way to reach God. You can place yourself in the religious box all you want, but you will beat your head or banging under those walls as you bounce off like a pinball, hitting your head time and time and time and time again, wondering why you can't get anywhere, why you can't be satisfied, why you can't move. It's because you've placed yourself in a religious box. You can't get out of it because you can never do enough. You can never do enough good deeds. You can never be righteous enough. You can never amount to anything that you need to do to get out of that box. Oh, you can climb up the, climb up the sides a little bit, but you will eventually slide back down and be in the bottom. And you can't cross the chasm on your own. There is no Tarzan swing to get across it. You must take the only way available, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the only access you will ever, ever have to God. Failure to do that, I might add. Failure to take that step, you have just wreaked condemnation on yourself. Remember, look at verse 19. He who believes in him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned. But, here's one of those buts. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So you're either in two camps today. You are either in one of two camps today. You are either repeating to me Romans 8, 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, or you're in the other camp, already condemned, going nowhere fast. And the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Remember, God has done all the work. He's done everything that he has to do, he could do. God has done it because Jesus said it. It is finished. The work is completed. Lord, Lord, what must we do to do the works of the kingdom? We want to do the works of the kingdom. We want to do the works of the kingdom. Shout out the multitude to Jesus. Jesus has looked at him and said, believe on the one whom he sent. Faith. Faith. Ponder the great divide and apply it to your situation today. It's something that we all must do something that we need to do and have to do is something that all of us will face all we will face I believe that we will all be faced with that fateful question what did you do with my son you are the gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth 
Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's Word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.